Specialty Story, session number 22. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Uh, Welcome to the Specialty Stories Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here, as well as many other podcasts. Check out everything that I do and we do at mededmedia.com. That's M-E-D-E-D media.com. If you are a pre-med student and you are getting ready to prepare for your medical school interviews, or if you were not going to prepare for them for a year or two, go check out the pre-med playbook guide to the medical school interview. It is being released in paperback form on June 6th, 2017. And right now I have a pre-order special where you can get about $100 worth of goodies, freebies, if you pre-order the Barnes & Noble paperback copy. Now, the freebies are one month access to a brand new awesome mock interview platform that is right now only available for those that pre-order. And the other thing is a uh, access to my 13, I think it's 13 video course on the medical school interview. So if you are interested in that for $14 roughly to get the, the paperback copy to get $100 worth of free stuff and access to an uh, amazing new platform, again, which you can use at any point. So if you're not interviewing until next year, go pre-order the book and, and let me know that you want access to this platform next year and not this year. But you can text the word pre-order, that's P-R-E-O-R-D-E-R, pre-order, all capital letters, to 44222, and I will follow up with instructions in your email on how to do that. All right, on to today's show. Today's show is going to be a little bit different. It's a little crossover type show. I'm actually being interviewed by Ian Drummond, who is a fourth-year medical student who is the host of The Undifferentiated Medical Student. And Ian interviewed me back in episode 24 of his podcast all about aerospace medicine. Now, if you haven't heard Ian's podcast, you should. Again, the Undifferentiated Medical Student is the podcast at undifferentiatedmedicalstudent.com. The, the, again, the episode I was in is episode 24. Ian's interview is a little bit different than mine for specialty stories. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play just a part of his interview with me, the part that relates specifically to aerospace medicine. If you want to go listen to the whole episode, Again, go check it out, undifferentiatedmedicalstudent.com, and it's episode 24. So I hope you enjoy this episode, again, with Ian Drummond from The Undifferentiated Medical Student. Now is a perfect time to transition to the first part of the interview, where I basically ask you to tell us everything about aerospace medicine. And the way I like to start this part of the interview is usually to read you a description um, from the Careers in Medicine website, which is hosted by the AAMC. But in this case, the Careers in Medicine website actually didn't have a description of aerospace medicine. It had, um, it listed aerospace medicine 
under preventative medicine, but it didn't have a link to it with the usual description of the specialty. So you helped me find one from the Aerospace Medical Association, which is at asma.org if other people want to go look it up. So I'm going to read that and then I'm going to ask you what you think of that description and then we'll take it from there. Aerospace medicine, a subspecialty of preventative medicine. Aerospace medicine concerns the determination and maintenance of the health, safety, and performance of persons involved in air and space travel. Aerospace medicine, as a broad field of endeavor, offers dynamic challenges and opportunities for physicians, nurses, psychologists, bioenvironmental engineers, industrial hygienists, environmental health practitioners, human factors specialists, psychologists, physicians, assistants, and other professionals. Those in the field are dedicated to enhancing health, promoting safety, and improving performance of individuals who work or travel in unusual environments. The environments of space and aviation provide significant challenges such as microgravity, radiation exposure, G-forces, emergency ejection injuries, and hypoxic conditions for those embarking on their exploration. Areas of interest range from space and atmospheric flight to undersea activities. The environments studied over a wide spectrum extending from the microenvironments of space to the increased pressures of undersea. Oh, I already read that. Increased knowledge of these unique environments of spaceship Earth helps aerospace medicine professionals ensure participants are physically prepared, physiologically safe, and perform at the highest levels. How much of that do you agree with, and what would you add or subtract to ensure that anyone listening was well-informed about aerospace medicine? I agree with all of it. It's a, a great representation, obviously, from the the organization that, that kind of runs. Right, right from the source. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, right from the source. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that that is missing, which is unique to aerospace medicine, is the relationships with patients is um, such a huge factor in aerospace medicine that I think it deserves its own kind of call out there as well. Mm -hmm. Can you give me an example of that? I mean, many specialties have relationships, but why would it be that these relationships are extra important in aerospace medicine. So as an aerospace medicine physician, as, as a flight surgeon, and I'll, I'll speak specifically to the Air Force because that's my experience, but it's similar for the Army and Navy. And, and they do have civilian uh, flight surgeons. You can have uh, AMEs out in the real world that, that do physicals for airline pilots and other other pilots as well so mm-hmm. so there are there is a, a civilian equivalent it's just a, a little bit different for the military but for for the military specifically for pilots let's, let's just talk about pilots to make the, the conversation easier a pilot when they go and see the flight surgeon they usually are seeing the flight surgeon for one of a few things one, it's their mandatory kind of annual physical, and they're they're crossing their fingers that nothing is found. <laughs> and, or two, something is really wrong, and they need they need help. A pilot doesn't typically want to go see the flight surgeon outside of those two things because every visit to the flight surgeon is an opportunity to lose their wings. Yeah, and and by lose their their wings, I mean no longer be able to fly. And so, because a flight surgeon has that 
control and it's it's not that they want the control it's just our job to to make sure that pilots and, and other people that are interacting with with aircraft um make sure that they're safe operating that aircraft uh and so it's our job to make sure that if they have a medical condition we need to to determine if they should continue flying or not and just a, a brief kind of side story for for my story I, I experienced this as a flight surgeon. I was a rated flyer. Uh, I got to wear a flight suit and had wings and got. I, I was required to fly four hours a month to be part of the air crew to build that rapport, build that trust. I went uh, for a an MRI one day because I was having some weird symptoms and and a diagnosis of MS a couple, uh, a, a little bit later. I, I was no longer allowed to go up in an airplane. Oh wow! For the Air Force, so because that there's that fine line between you're allowed to fly and have your career, or you're not allowed to fly anymore. Let's figure out something else for you. It's such a it's such an important relationship to have that trust, have that rapport, and and it's one of the best parts about being a, a flight surgeon. Oh man, I yeah. So I can see how trust is extra important and. Because I because I imagine that uh, they probably hide things from you unless they <laughs> they do hide things from us. It yeah. is it, it's it's a cat and mouse game. It's like it's like Doctor House in uh, in in House the the TV show. Yeah. Like, Patients always lie. Yeah, well, <laughs> kind of in in the aerospace medicine world, they they probably are um, <laughs> because they they're they want to. It, it flying it's weird. Pilots and and navigators and loadmasters and and everybody else that's on the plane and working on the plane, they love their jobs and they love that. Uh, they love the camaraderie that comes with it and and everything else. And it's a huge part of who they are. Um, very interesting dynamics. And uh, I, I didn't realize that's how you discovered that you had MS, um, which, by the way, I hope is a mild case and remits frequently. Thanks. But I'm sure that sucked to to be pulled to have your wings pulled from you. Yeah, like you you're you're grounding the flight dock. Like how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of pissed. Like you can't ground me. I'm the flight dock. Oh, uh, but yeah, I, uh, it's it's a hard thing. But it is what it is. I I personally thought it was a stupid rule for me. Um, it, it's interesting. MS MS is one of those weird things for for aerospace medicine. The Israeli Air Force is a little bit more uh, progressive than we are, and they let pilots fly with MS. The our Air Force is a little bit less progressive, and they worry more about the the cognitive decline. That it's like seventy five percent of MS patients have some sort of cognitive deficit, and so that I think that's what our military worries about, mm-hmm. um, less so than whether you have any sensory motor deficits obviously you still need to be able to fly the pan the fly the plane but for me i'm like i'm the flight dog i'm not i'm not flying the plane i'm just hanging out and building rapport and building these people's trust so yeah it was it was a i i argued for a while but uh, i lost that argument (laughs) bummer sorry to hear that that's all right um so now that we're actually talking about it, one one thing, one question I have is, do flight surgeons, when you say you were up there flying, were you actually piloting the plane or were you just up there, you know, in the back seat? And, so there, and, and there, do flight surgeons actually learn to pilot? There are a couple caveats. In the Navy, 
flight surgeons typically go through some of the pilot training courses that that the pilots go through. So they're they're trained a little bit more. The Army, I don't think, does that. And the, the Air Force does it a little bit. Uh, and the Army may do it like the Air Force, where you go through a little bit of of ground training, ground pilot school. And uh, it, it's just part of the, the exposure to say, hey, this is, this is what pilots are going through. Let's go up in a, a small little Cessna-type plane and, and go fly, and, and you can fly and see what that's like. Because you need, to, again, the, the whole point of a flight surgeon is to make sure that pilots and other people can do their job if they have a cold or if they have a knee sprain or whatever. So you have to understand what they're going through. Yeah. And so they throw you up in a in a plane. They give you some ground training and and throw you up in a plane with a an instructor pilot, and you you fly around in a little plane, and you can you you see how much there is to do. It's it's a lot of overload. Yeah. And I I have my private pilot. I got my private pilot. I've always been fascinated with airplanes, and and so when I had the opportunity to get my private pilot, I I jumped on that. And so nice. I would love to yeah, do that. When yeah, it's 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 awesome. When when I say that as a as a flight surgeon, I had to fly four hours a month. That's usually I'm referring to just being part of the air crew. And so uh, the the majority of aircraft that I was in are bigger airplanes. And so I would just kind of hang out in the back, or you're hanging out in the cockpit, but not actually controlling anything. Sometimes I would talk on the radio and and help them with the radio stuff. Uh, the one time I did get to fly something, I was in the backseat of an F-16, and the, because the controls are right there, it's it, it's a little bit less weird than a pilot in a bigger airplane getting up and out of the way so that you can sit down. Because yeah. if any anything were to happen, then you'd have to get up, and so it's a lot uh, a lot less to worry about in a fighter jet. Uh, that uh, because you have the controls there, and the pilot's still there, and he has controls, so. I got to pilot an F-16, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> so you're basically a fighter pilot. At least you get to say I'm basically, it. Basically, I have a selfie of me in a, in a fighter jet. So I am so that's, jealous. Uh, that's what I lead with. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so just a quick clarifying uh, tangential question is that, so when you say that you have wings, that, that can mean either you have wings to actually fly the plane yourself or you have wings to be allowed in the aircraft even as a passenger. Yeah, so wings, when you have wings, you're either, it means you're rated, I guess you could be non-rated uh, and, and have wings. It, it means that you are in some way affiliated with the airplane. Um, pilots have wings, loadmasters have wings, navigators have wings, um, flight surgeons have wings. Uh, who else has wings? I, I see, so it's not just the pilots. It's not just the pilots. Yeah, having having wings is just a designation to, that you're kind of like the real Air Force. <laughs> you're like part of the plane because in in the in the kind of the civilian world, if if you tell somebody that you're in the Air Force, it's like, oh, you fly airplanes. It's like, well, no, I I drive a bus, or I'm a cook, or I'm a doctor, or whatever. Like the Air Force is just a big corporation that has lots of jobs, yeah. and a very small percentage of those people actually have wings and fly and do all that stuff. So it's a it's a fun misconception out on the, the outside world. Yeah, and I'm definitely from the outside world. 
Um, well, great. That was phenomenal. I didn't know any of that. So I'm, I'm glad we clarified that. And I'll just say I was doing some reading online and the four hours that you were referring to, I think this was actually on the Navy website that I was reading that you know, you're required to do these four hour, um, not operations, but have four hours with the squadron they were saying, but basically mm-hmm. for the reason that you initially were talking about, like the trust, you not only trust, but you have to know what they're experiencing and, that's why they have you do at least four hours. Yeah. So it's one of the reasons that kind of I initially mentioned the, the difference between a civilian physician who's seeing a, a, a patient. Let's, let's talk about a, a primary care doctor. Their patient comes in with, with lower back pain or, or knee pain. And it's like, okay, great. Go, go to physical therapy. And there's usually almost never any sort of, thought about well, what job does this person do? Yeah. Can they continue to do it? Usually the person's asking for, for some time off because they don't want to work. Um, that's, a, that's a different story. <laughs> um, but in, in the military as a flight surgeon, the, that's always the first question at the top of my mind. Yes, I care about the knee pain. I care about the back pain. Let's, let's think about that and get you better. But I have to know what your job is and whether or not you can continue to do it. Yeah. So if you come in with knee pain and you're a pilot, and I know that if if an engine goes out and you need to to push full rudder to keep the plane straight and land it, that you're probably not going to be able to do that with how bad your knee is. Let's ground you for a week or two, make sure your knee's better, come back and see me, and we'll reevaluate. Got it. Uh, thank you for that. So if you have nothing else to add off the top of your head, I'll just dive into my first question. Let's go. So you are actually one more clarifying question. If, if you, I just want to see how the terms flight surgeon and aerospace medicine relate. <laughs> so is someone who practices aerospace medicine necessarily a flight surgeon and is a flight surgeon necessarily someone who has training in aerospace medicine? Yes and yes. Okay. As far as as far as I know. <laughs> okay. There may be some random caveats, but yeah, it, it's it's interesting. There there is no such thing as flight surgery. Right. A a flight surgeon is just a an old cool name that has held out for a long time, and and the the actual practice is aerospace medicine, and there are aerospace medicine residencies, uh, but you are a flight surgeon as an aerospace medicine specialist. Got it. So there is flying, but there is no surgery, and there's definitely no surgery while flying. Yes. The, the, only, the only people operating on airplanes are mechanics. Okay. <laughs> uh, important clarification, because I didn't quite realize that was the case when I first started looking into this stuff. All right. So my first question is, and this is going to be for you in the context of an Air Force flight surgeon, what does a typical weekly routine look like or what did a typical weekly routine look like for you? What is a typical series of patients that you would see and what would be a typical series of outcomes for these patients? So a typical week would look like any other specialty and an office-based specialty, so ambulatory setting. You're seeing patients and it depends on what base you're stationed at as an active duty flight surgeon. Uh, some bases you see dependents, meaning the the family members of the active duty member. Some bases you see retirees. Uh, so it, it depends a little bit on the types of patients you're seeing, but but you're seeing normal clinical stuff. You're seeing a lot of occupational health uh, visits. So when a 
when a pilot comes in for their annual uh, flight physical, it's it's an occupational physical. We're checking their vision, we're checking their hearing, we're checking uh, other things, just and making sure they're they're obviously healthy otherwise. But a lot of it is just more occupational based, making sure that they meet the qualifications for continued flying. Uh, if we're seeing dependents and retirees, we're we're basically a family practice person, uh, a family practice physician. And so we're treating family members for normal aches and pains and colds and, and other stuff that, that a family practice physician would be seeing patients for. Um, a flight surgeon is, is, it's a cool job because depending on where you're at, the, the majority of your time, or I guess it's, it's about 50-50. 50-50 seeing patients or 50% seeing patients and 50% hanging out with air crew and building that rapport and doing what's called shop visits. Uh, you're an occupational health physician as a flight surgeon. And so you're visiting, if you're at a base that has airplanes and you're visiting the flying squadron to make sure things look good there and things are clean, the facilities are clean, you're going to the maintenance squadron and making sure that people that are working on the airplanes uh, are are keeping a clean environment and not uh, working with lead-based paint and bringing that into their their offices and where they eat and other things. And so you're just making sure that the base is staying healthy. And so a lot of time you're outside of the clinic and interacting with the rest of the base population, which is pretty fun. It keeps things keeps things uh, very uh, varied, and so you you get a lot of uh, a lot of diversity, which is pretty cool. Yeah, uh, definitely a lot of some different activities, or at least you get to observe them. And when you go to these site visits, are you, you know, do you just have like a clipboard with a checklist? And you're like, okay, no oil on the ground, or no lead paints, or mm-hmm. yeah. So, so a lot of them are are very structured like that, uh, and it's like, okay, they they keep separate wipes for their masks or they have separate sinks for different things. And yeah, so a lot of it is very structured in that way. And some of it's just using your normal intuition and, and question asking skills that you learn as a physician and just trying to inquire about things. And, and as a physician, you have unique skills of, of looking into things and asking questions and kind of digging down deeper so you use that as well uh i I can see that so you're rarely ever doing the work you're just really in the background observing how others do the work yeah we're not doing the work of of what the the actual shop is doing but we're evaluating and usually i go out with a team so i would have gone out with public health or bioenvironmental engineering they also they help keep the the base population healthy and so they have their questions that they're asking and I'm observing and I'm following up with different questions more focused on the the health side and the medicine side. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a very collaborative team-based approach when you go out to do these things. Uh-huh. So taking you back to the clinical side of what you do, the the ambulatory care, is it fair to say, and you use the term family medicine doc, is it, is it fair to say that a flight surgeon then and at least 50% of the time is basically a general practitioner except of the military? Yeah, exactly. And the, a large majority of flight surgeons are general practitioners, meaning they're only internship trained. The 
that's the way that the Air Force kind of gets flight surgeons is what happened in my path. And we'll we'll dig into that. But uh, a lot of flight surgeons are fresh out of their internship. There are a lot of flight surgeons that have uh, a residency training, whether it's OBGYN or orthopedics or family practice or internal medicine. You can have any specialty and go and be a flight surgeon if you choose to. I see. But does that if if you let's say you have OBGYN training and you become a flight surgeon, do you have to go through all of the aerospace medicine training before you're the flight surgeon? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Because it's it's so unique and different. Okay. So it sounds like aerospace medicine is a subspecialty that's available to everyone. And I think on the careers in medicine website it just said you needed to do a preliminary year, an intern year. It's available to everyone in the military. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. If 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 you want to do that, they they always usually need flight surgeons, and so <laughs> we get we get a lot of uh, uh, physicians that would jump ship from their specialty, family practice, or their subspecialty, and and uh, come over to the flight medicine world. Got it. And so, what is a typical outcome for this typical patient? Which sounds like it could be any type of patient. Are there any interesting outcomes? I mean, I think one that you've already mentioned is well, you know, you had to tell the pilot with a certain condition that the condition would result in him losing his wings or her losing her wings. Um, any other sort of typical outcomes for these patients? Not really. I mean, typical outcomes, it's, it's going to be just like a, a family practice doc. You're going to see people with their aches and pains and sniffles and flus. And, and so you're, you're treating that acute thing for a week or two and maybe grounding them for a week or two and, and then they come back and see you and, and things are better. But it, there are lots of unique things. If somebody's losing their vision or has a, a random new diagnosis, uh, then yeah, they, there, there are a lot, of, a lot of bad things that can happen, obviously, that, to cause somebody to lose their wings. Or as, as a flight surgeon, you also take care of usually firefighters because that's another big occupational health job. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're telling somebody they're not qualified to be a firefighter anymore, which is almost almost worse than telling a pilot they can't fly anymore firefighters are are very passionate and so it's uh it, it's definitely definitely the the outcomes are are normal uh usually normal healthy people but then when you get those random diagnoses it's it's a, a life changer yeah I, i'm just trying to relate it to i guess other fields and it really sounds like what you do is very similar to family medicine yeah it'd be it'd be closest to family medicine very cool thank you what do you find most exciting about being a flight surgeon or being involved in aerospace medicine? And conversely, what do you find most mundane about aerospace medicine that you tolerate or tolerated to experience the more exciting aspects of it? So obviously the most exciting is being able to go out and be part of the air crew and go fly around the world or fly an F-16 or go go do those sorts of missions. Going out and experiencing what the rest of the base is doing is pretty exciting. So, so that, I think that's the most exciting part. The most mundane part is dealing with again normal aches and pains, the the, the kind of boring patients. If if you have those, uh, dealing with uh, somebody coming in with their high blood pressure and trying to manage that, or their diabetes and trying to manage that, and it's just the the, the boring the boring normal doctor stuff. Got it. What is one thing you wish you had known about your specialty before entering it? Uh, 
I wish that it would. I wish I would have known about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, again, we'll we'll get into that. Uh, I guess in the second part. But yeah, when when I got the call to say I was going to be a flight surgeon, I was like, oh, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I I don't think there's really anything now that now that I'm out of it. When I was in it, that I was. I was like, man, I wish I, I wish I would have known about this. Yeah. Other than I wish I would have known about it. Yeah. Um, then is there anything that you would recommend that medical students consider in earnest before pursuing aerospace medicine? Uh, I would consider them to do it, especially those that are uh, on an HPSP scholarship yeah. or at the uh, University uh, of Health Sciences, the U.S. Uh, medical school. I think as a flight surgeon, it's it's an amazing job and uh, there's so many things that you can do that I highly recommend it. Even if you're interested in a specialty, go be a flight surgeon for a couple of years and then go go live the rest of your life because the stories that I can tell now, having been a flight surgeon, are going to stay with me forever. Yeah, no, it sounds pretty cool. Um, for everyone listening, but also me, can you tell me what an HPSP scholarship is? HPSP is Health Profession Scholarship Program. So it's the... It's the program, Ian. I'm sure when you when you got your acceptance to medical school, it's like, okay, great. And how much are the loans now? <laughs> yep. So instead of asking that question, I went to the Air Force recruiter and said, "Here, you pay for it." <laughs> got it. Um, so it's it's a program. It's about 150 scholarships a year that they offer, and basically, you you get into medical school and you apply for the HPSP scholarship, and they accept you or not accept you and they pay for medical school and then you owe them it's, it's a year for a year so you can do a four-year or three-year uh, scholarship very cool so here's one of my favorite questions and i think we've covered parts of it already but how does the practice of aerospace medicine change depending on setting for example inpatient versus outpatient academic versus private versus public urban versus suburban versus rural uh, civilian versus governmental versus uh, military, and then even national versus international. So I think for the purposes of of the uniqueness of aerospace medicine, because it's a more of a military based career, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll divide the two into more kind of non combat and combat. Okay. So as a flight surgeon. You're depending on where you're stationed. You can be stationed anywhere throughout the world. You can be stationed at a place without planes. You can. Wh wh I was stationed at a at a base with no planes, which is kind of weird for a flight surgeon. Uh, but the majority of your job is making sure that the the population of that base is healthy, making sure that the population of the pilots and everybody else that's interacting with the airplanes is healthy. It's always an ambulatory setting. Uh, there, there would be no need for a, an inpatient, um, hospital-based flight surgeon, um, and so that that's that's the the kind of non-combat. And then you can have when you're deployed in, in a more of a combat setting, you run you can run as a as a flight surgeon different parts of the evacuation. Uh, medical evacuation triage kind of tents and, and stations along the way. So when when somebody gets injured in, in combat, they're evaluated and triaged to see if they need to be uh, evac'd out to 
uh, more of a, a bigger hospital or if they can be just treated where they are or if they need to be sent to like Germany to a big hospital. And it's usually a flight surgeon that is doing that evaluation and then determining, well, what kind of aircraft do they need to fly on? Is this, uh, is this an injury that is going to get worse at altitude or do they need to stay at low altitude? Do they need to be in a helicopter and stay low or stay in an unpressurized aircraft at a, a low altitude? So you're doing a lot of cool kind of triage and trying to figure out uh, what's best for the patient based on aircraft and altitude and, and other things. So the, the, I think those are the, the two biggest distinguishers for, for aerospace medicine. Great. Thank you for that. Um, but at some point, I think you mentioned that you can go into aerospace medicine outside of the military. So does that, what does that look? And then, and then you said that commercial airliners have AMEs. Yeah. So an AME is a, um, an aerospace medical examiner, I think is the term. Uh, it's a designation you get certified through the FAA, at least here in the in the states, and or aero aeromedical medical examiner, something something along those lines. I don't know. <laughs> I'll put it in the show um, notes. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. The show notes are always the best. <laughs> but the so as an AME. You're usually, again, a family practice doc or, or internal medicine doc or somebody that's interested in in aviation. Uh -huh. And it's kind of a cool job because it's, a, it's usually a cash-based business. And so you say, yep, I, I'm a, it's an aviation medical examiner. That's what AME is. And a, an aviation medical examiner, I, I will see you for, there's, I think, three classes, class one, two, and three airplane pilots are class one pilots they need physicals it's like every six months or something and then there's class two and class three uh, depending on the designation I'm, I'm not familiar with that side of it because mm -hmm. again I, I wasn't an AME um, but yeah so you can be an AME you, you have to go through FAA training I believe the FAA training is free uh, which is kind of cool because it's a, a government organization, and so uh, they need AMEs. They, if you look at the population of AMEs over time, it's it's decreased significantly, mm -hmm. and so it's getting harder and harder for pilots to find an AME and get their physicals. And it's it's very similar to to a military flight surgeon. There are strict medical guidelines that determine whether or not you're able to fly and. Uh, an AME knows those guidelines and bases your evaluation and your physical on those guidelines and your health and and makes recommendations based on that. Got it. And this uh, FAA training, is that the same thing as an aerospace medicine fellowship or residency? No, it's it's a like a week long or two week long course cool. that the FAA puts on. I see. So you already have to have some aerospace medicine training and then you take the FAA training? No, you can be an internal medicine doc and have a practice and be like, I think I want to be an AME. Oh, okay. I see now. So what if you wanted to work at, say, NASA? <laughs> you could be a flight surgeon at NASA. Yeah, I, I looked into that at one point because I, I was like, that'd be pretty awesome to be a, <laughs> an astronaut. Um, yeah, can I fly with the squadron I, then too? <laughs> yeah, you could. You could be, uh, <laughs> I don't know what you what you would do flying-wise. Um but you could definitely, I've been down to to Houston, to the Space Center there, and visited, 
think it's the world's largest or second largest swimming pool where they uh, the astronauts do all their training for weightlessness. They do it in a, a huge pool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been there and, and seen that, and it's it's pretty awesome. Uh, so yeah, you could, and as a flight surgeon in the Air Force, I did astronaut physicals. I would see people that wanted to be astronauts, and I would do their initial physicals before they would go down to to Houston uh, to get their full physical. So it's like, oh, that's cool. This guy wants to be an astronaut. I want to talk to him yeah. or her. No, no chance you could do your four hours of squadron <laughs> hangout time in space. Probably not. Bummer. <laughs> Very cool. Is there any other context that I haven't asked about that changes the way aerospace medicine is practiced? The the other aspect, and I, I think I kind of hit on it earlier, but I, I didn't dive into it, is you could be a pilot physician, which is cool. And okay. the Air Force, I think, has about 20 spots to be a pilot physician. And I was actually talking with a, a student that I'm working with. She's in the Air Force right now and wants to go back to medical school, but she's also a pilot, uh, not in the Air Force, but she has a private pilot, has like 600 hours. She flew at the academy on like their their like stunt team or something. Wow. And and so I was like, well, why don't you be a pilot physician if, if flying is, is such a big part of your life? She's like, oh, I, I definitely will look into that. You can, so the, the typical path for a pilot physician is you're a pilot and for some reason you get interested in medicine and you go to medical school and you still want to be in the military, you become a pilot physician. So you're a physician first and foremost, but you have the pilot training and you, it, it's such a unique position um, and usually you're doing a lot more higher level things. You're not just seeing patients in a clinic, but you're you're looking at a lot of the regulations that are being written. You're doing research into new technologies. And uh, so that's that's one aspect that I didn't talk about. And because they they have about 20 slots and it's it's highly sought after. In, in the uh, entire military? In the Air Force. Oh, okay. Um, because because they don't have enough people filling those spots, not enough pilots are going on to be uh, physicians, surprisingly. <laughs> um, they're looking for physicians that may be interested in going to pilot training through the Air Force uh, to to be pilot physicians. So that's a, a cool and unique thing. And I actually looked into it the first year that they were like, hey, we were starting to offer this to physicians to go to, to pilot training. I looked into it and I was too old at the time. Oh, uh, really? What's that? To cutoff? go to pilot training, you have to be, I think it's 29, the oldest to start. And I was already 30 or 31. And and so I said, hey, I have my private pilot. I obviously love to fly. This is pretty cool. And they're like, yeah, we, we're not doing age waivers. Uh, usually we say in the military, and anything is waiverable. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason at that point, they weren't waiving it. So the next year they were waiving it. I think if they were waiving it the year that I was interested, I, I maybe a different discussion at this point, but <laughs> I think that the MS would have grounded me either way. Oh, man. Well, either way, very cool. I, I, you know, I did not know that a pilot physician was a thing. Yeah. Um, to, the road to get there, can you be any type of physician or do you also need to have taken an aerospace medicine sort of fellowship uh, to be a pilot physician? Yes. Uh, I think I think they were taking any physicians, uh, but you would obviously need to go through the, the aerospace medicine training at yeah. some point. And then is is the unique ability that a pilot physician offers, is it in research or 
are there various missions that the military needs to fly where they don't have enough space on a plane or something? So they want, you know, someone who could do two things, i.e. be a physician and a pilot. It's, it's probably more of the research and more of just having the deep, deep uh, knowledge base and foundation of having both careers yeah. under your belt and being able to make those regulations and see things from both sides. Right. A deeper understanding of both sides. Yeah. Very cool. Totally insightful for me. All new for me as well. What is one of the biggest challenges facing aerospace medicine and where do you predict your specialty will be in 10 to 20 years? Uh, aerospace medicine challenges, I, I think always one of the biggest challenges is because we're such a unique part of the military, a, a lot of people don't really understand us. And so when I was talking earlier about this 50-50 kind of thing, you're seeing patients 50% of the time, a lot of times there's a lot of pressure for us to start doing more and seeing different types of patients and uh help the family practice docs because they're usually overloaded and they see the flight surgeon out gallivanting around the base and hanging out uh-huh. and flying around. And and so there's there's probably a lot of, I don't want to say jealousy, but a lot of misunderstanding of what our job is. Yeah. And so I think that's the biggest challenge is is that misunderstanding from the, the greater Air Force behind what we do and what we are. Are there, um, any, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Are there any manifestations of this misunderstanding that uh, are either good, bad, or neutral? Does anyone ever come up and yell at you <laughs> or something? Like what? What happens? Uh, uh, of course, there's manifestations. The manifestations are your your boss tells you that uh, you're going to start seeing more patients that don't really belong to you. <laughs> ah, I see. Yeah. So there's there's always a battle, um, and it always helps to have a boss who understands the flight the the flight medicine world. Yeah, and aerospace medicine world, and so. I was calling or I was likening of being a flight surgeon or at least 50% of what the flight surgeon does to being a family practice physician. But does the military also have family practice physicians that are not flight surgeons? Yes. Okay. Um, so where do you predict your specialty will be in 10 to 20 years? Where it is now. And it, it, it's not going to change much. Okay. I think things the, the things that are changing are as we go to more and more autonomous aircraft, um, autonomous in a sense where uh, we actually have true autonomous drones, um, but the majority now at this point are remotely piloted. Um, it, it's, it's funny, there's, there's always this big argument that it's, they're not unmanned aircraft. They are manned, they're just manned in a different location. Uh-huh. Um, so they're remotely piloted, RPAs, um, remotely piloted aircrafts. Uh, I, I think the interest in aerospace medicine will will go down because of that. Um, because part of the the lore is being able to go fly, and when there is no plane to fly in, then it's like, well, why am I doing this? Uh, so it's it, it it'll be different. I think challenges are different as as you get drone pilots that are quote unquote, at war during the day and then they're at home at night in their house. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think there are unique psychological challenges that come into play there. Um, we're going to fighter planes, the, the F-22 and F-35 that are only single seat planes. They don't They don't have, um, I, I think the 22 may have one or two um, dual seat planes 
but the 35 i don't think we'll ever have any uh, dual seat planes meaning um, the, the flight surgeon can't go up there meaning the flight surgeon exactly so the f-15 and the f-16 the f-18 and the navy uh as those become more antiquated and aren't used the flight surgeon gets less experience and and less enjoyments going and flying in fighter jets because you, you can't fly in the 22 or 35 yeah. so that that'll be a big change um, so I, I think those are some of the challenges. I, I think we'll always have the the heavier aircrafts like the C five and C seventeen and the the refuelers, um, the air tankers. Yeah. When are they bringing the SR seventy one back? Um, I don't know <laughs> if they are at all. I I doubt that they are as well. I'm going to put that one in the show notes for anyone who doesn't know that that one is. I don't know many of the planes that you just mentioned, but I had a, <laughs> a roommate that he was a systems engineer and he wanted to be a pilot and he might be a pilot by now. And he loved, I think it's the Blackbird, the SR-71, yep. which is a very sexy looking jet that I yep. think is one of the fastest ever built, if not the fastest. Yeah. We got the B-2 kind of replaced that one. Okay. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you about aerospace medicine that you think people should know? Um... It's awesome. <laughs> it sounds very cool. It, it's it's a great job. I, I I'm serious. It and we'll we'll get into how I got there. But it's a it it it's an awesome uh, distraction for a couple of years before you start your your real life. All right, there you have it. All about aerospace medicine. Now, aerospace medicine obviously pretty much specific to the military. Although there are civilian residencies for aerospace medicine. But my goal is not for for this podcast, for specialty stories, I don't think I'm going to dive into all of the medical specialties, and that's for two reasons. Number one, the practice of, of pediatrics in the military is not very different than pediatrics in the, the civilian world. So, so the medicine practice isn't very different, and, and honestly... Really, there there just aren't that many military pre-meds out there, I, I don't think, to warrant doing individual episodes. So to do an episode of military internal medicine may benefit 100 students, but the other 2,000 would be like, I don't care about military stuff. So I, I'm not, I'm not uh, giving up on the military side of things. I, I am a huge advocate and and uh, evangelist for joining the military to pay for medical school and to serve and to, to be part of the military. It's it's an awesome thing to wear the uniform, but for the specialty stories, I don't think I'm going to dive into it. So with that said, I hope you have a great week. Come back, check us out next week here at Specialty Stories.